Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, 007 moves to November. The Last of Us finds a TV home. And what's the state of Apple Plus? All this and more as we reach our next stop the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassman from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's our own Ghost of Tsushima of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. His awesome podcast, Topic Ocalypse, and of course his book, which you got to get right now at Barnes and Noble or Amazon. Congratulations, you suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Oh, you know, just living life, you know. So if you guys could do me a favor, go pick up that book, show it a little love, help me, uh, you know, boost my confidence a little bit. Would greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. You know, if they could only see you on video right now, giving that sad puppy dog face, trying to get more people to buy your book. And uh, I do highly recommend it, just by the way, regardless of the puppy dog look he's giving right now. Don't, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Please, don't cry. But Ghost of Tsushima, the reason why I brought that up is because Ghost of Tsushima finally got a release date. And it's actually incredible that I did say Ghost of Tsushima for the fourth straight time just right now without blowing it. But I want to ask you this, my friend. Sony is releasing it on June 26th, and this is something that, again, goes back to what I think is kind of a little bit misguided on Sony and PlayStation's part about throwing all the stuff out there at different points of time this year, other than saving it for PlayStation 5. And yes, I understand that they're going to have to throw out a PlayStation 4 version of many of these games that they're going to have at the same time they release the PlayStation 5, but a beautiful-looking game like Ghost of Tsushima, would really look nice as a debut game on that console. I just don't understand why that they're going ahead and pushing it on June 26th, when you and I both know, for the most part, June and July are some of the weakest points in time for video games during the year. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it, yeah, it does look bad, but here's my my thought on it, right, is the fact that it was not developed to be a PS5 game. And I, I know they're going to do some kind of up-res function or they're going to upgrade it or it would be my hope that they would, but I don't think it was developed for the PS5. So if it was specifically developed for the PS5, I, yeah, I could totally see them making that a launch title, but I don't think this is one of like the last games that was created exclusively for the PS4. So they're trying to push that out. That way they'll probably have it at launch. They'll probably have a PS5 version of it. At least that's my prediction of what's going to happen. And if you have it on PS4 already, my hope would be that they would, uh, you know, offer you that free upgrade. But it's Sony, so who really knows? I think they're going to have to because Xbox has already set a precedent. And also CD Projekt Red is doing that with Cyberpunk 2077. I think that's what, isn't that what really kicked off or was it Xbox? I'm not really sure because both announced it around the same kind of time. CD Projekt Red had announced that they were going to do that and then... Um, that was kind of something Xbox promised to do at E3, though, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, they had 
Probably. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right on that. But yeah, I, yeah. I, that sounds like something Xbox would say, like something Phil Spencer would say. Phil who Spencer, heads up yeah, he's, he's a good dude. He is a good dude. So it seems like something he would do. And then if that's the case, that puts the ball in Sony's court. And to not lose favor, because as you remember, the E3 way back when, when they announced the PlayStation 4, it was their smart last minute thinking on the game sharing video that they did. That pretty much to me, pretty much to a lot of other people as well, really thought that was a benchmark moment for the console battle between those two was that period of time so early on making a defining statement. And if PlayStation goes against that as far as having to charge for upgrades from PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5 upgrades, that to me is a missed opportunity that I think they'll suffer from. Yeah, I agree. Here, here's the big thing is that Sony has never... Sony's kind of going into waters that they've never explored before, right? So they have this... They finally gave in, did the uh, cross-console play. Now they're going into this new generation of consoles promising that this one is backwards compatible. How far back it goes, we, we still don't know anything about that. This is hard because are they... Is part of this new like face that Sony's showing? Is that going to involve them doing stuff like that? You know, because they're they've always been about the dollar signs, right? Whereas Microsoft is they are behind in the console race, so they're more willing to give the fans what they want. But Sony is, you know, and especially it depends too on the price point. You know, is it is what's the what's the console going to cost? And is that cost going to be so high that people don't buy it? Because if it is too high. Yes, they need to offer an incentive to upgrade the games for people, but if not, then I just I don't see Sony doing something like that out of the kindness of their hearts. Well, let's wait to see on that. I still think that they're going to have to because, again, the ball's been put in their court and they've been backed into a corner on that issue, so it's something that eventually they're going to have to speak out on. And, you know, the leave it up to the developer to do so is already going to be hard for a lot of developers to try and do something I know they would want to do and price it and you know make a cost for it and extra charge and things of that nature, aka microtransactions, which you and I both love so much. <clears throat> Facetious. But anyways, I will say this, is that I think that Sony is going to go ahead and do the right thing when all it comes down to it. And I think most of the developers will as well, because ones that don't are going to get a severe PR backlash from it. Oh, for sure. But just for a quick second, can we talk about how beautiful Ghost of Tsushima looks? Well, that's exactly my point. It's a, it's an outstanding looking game. It would have been perfect as a debut game for the PS5. Yeah, but I'm also wondering, you know, does this have anything to do with quarter sales, right? Because the new consoles aren't coming out till December and they kind of need something to keep them afloat. So it might have had something to do with sales too. But I want to get back to the gameplay on this game for a minute. It looks stunning. It absolutely took my breath away i remember seeing the first demos at e3 a couple years ago beautiful game but just seeing this uh this story trailer that they put out today oh my gosh i cannot wait to get my hands on this game you know it looks it looks so the combat looks so fluid there's nothing clunky about it the soundtrack sounds amazing and you've got this story that i'm already attached to the character i don't know about you but uh i am crazy excited about this game I am as well, my friend. I think we've said this before. It looks very good. I was like, okay, it's a pretty game, but how much substance is into it? Then I got to see more and more of it over the past year or so. And I think I'm almost to the point where you're at now on, on the level of excitement. I'm really interested to see what going forward, what they have planned for Ghost of Tsushima. I'm just not sure in the best interest commercially for the game's success that releasing it on June 26 was the right answer. Well, we got a great episode, you know, a little bit farther in our intro there, but Ghost of Tsushima is definitely worth talking about. Wanted to give everybody a heads up that uh, he's back again. Rob McCallum is back to destroy our podcast once again, talking about all the great things that are going on with Action Figure Adventure. Plus also as well, he's going to be talking about Apple Plus. Him and I are going to talk about some of the things that have gone right and some of the things that are not gone right for Apple Plus in its first few months of existence, where it stands, and how good the future looks for Apple Plus. Is it as still as shiny and rosy as Rob once thought it was going to be back so long ago when he thought it was going to really dominate the market? 
Does he still think that way? He's going to stop by here in a little bit to talk about that. Plus, Josh and I are going to be talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake demo. How's that playing out? Taika Waititi has a new project we're going to be talking about as well real quick. And The Last of Us as an HBO series. We're going to be talking about that on the back end as well. But first, my friend, two big things as far as movies coming out. One now, and then one that was moved to later. So the first one that's going ahead and hit right now is Onward, Pixar's latest movie, getting okay reviews, nothing elaborate because Pixar usually has a lot of great films and usually does a great job as far as quality and standards that they hold up. Onward is not exactly, is, is you know, faring as high and it's not going to fare as high at the box office either, especially with what's going on with concerns regarding the coronavirus and all that. But it's still looking to do right around $40 million this weekend domestically, plus also gain another 30 to $50 million worldwide. So I ask my friend, you've seen the trailers. It's another Tom Holland voiceover along with Chris Pratt. Do you think those two have what it takes to make a hit for Pixar? Yeah, I do, actually. Like, they're... They're talent that has not been fully explored in the animated realm. And from what I'm seeing on the trailers and just like the, the early reviews I'm seeing of the film, like it, it looks good. You know, Pixar, Pixar rarely makes bad movies. Wasn't a fan of like, you know, them beating cars to death, but I've never watched something that I've walked out of the, the film going, man, that was awful. But, you know, this looks really good. This makes me gave me the warm fuzzies that i got when watching coco so i'm also afraid that come like act three in this one i'm gonna be bawling like a baby well like i said it is not as beloved as some of the earlier offerings from pixar not close to incredibles 2 or some of the toy stories like toy story 4 even that came out last year but still okay rated right around 61 a metacritic and it does have a positive rating on rotten tomatoes and also, it's the premiere outing right now because the way back with Ben Affleck, I don't think a lot of people are going to be going ahead and see that because that's projected right now to do under $10 million domestically. So I don't think pretty much anybody out there is, you know, even in March Madness, is willing to go see a, a basketball coaching story right now. I'm thinking that Onward right now will do well long term, but it's in kind of a little bit of a question right now because it is probably the first major release that could be affected by the coronavirus long term because right now there's estimates that the movie industry as a whole could lose as much as five billion dollars this year i think that might be a little bit conservative but that is what they're estimating right now including two billion alone in china so i ask you my friend and this goes into what we're leading to next with 007 there are some big decisions these movie studios have to make because a lot of these Theaters around the world are closing down. Italy, South Korea, China, parts of Europe, they're all closing down right now and movies are not being shown in those areas. And that's really affecting the industry and could affect the industry for quite some time. Your thoughts on you know, more movies like 007, which got moved to November. Could you see more of these movies happening that get shifted over because of it? Because this is something that is now getting to be really serious as far as an entertainment standard is concerned. You know, I'll be honest, man. Like I, this, the whole like coronavirus thing is kind of wearing on my nerves a little bit. The, is it going to affect the, the movie theaters? Yeah, probably. I mean, but like, as I was saying earlier, like here where I live, I'm not really seeing that happen. You know, I'm still seeing people out out and about people are at the malls people are out at like out in huntington beach they're at the beach they're driving on the freeways i don't really see that i, I feel like the lifestyle in the united states does not is not at the point where it could slow down for something like that overseas yes i guess they're you know japan's shut down their schools for so many months and italy's uh got stuff going on too that they're they're not taking all the flights from the u.s to italy have been postponed or canceled or delayed or whatever it is and yeah i mean they're taking all the precautions but who knows a few months from now like this whole thing could be it could blow over or it could be worse we don't really know it's hard to predict the future especially with you know with a health concern like this but do you see james bond being the the only major high profile movie to get moved do you see others like mulan black widow Fast and Furious 9, do you see any of those big names or something similar 
being moved because of coronavirus as well. No, I mean, I don't. James Bond, do we even know that James Bond got moved because of the coronavirus? Was there? Yes, a, like the, a... the, well, I, I don't know if the official statement, but pretty much everyone is leading into that as far as. And, mm-hmm. and it's also just by doing that, it is a financial risk for them because it is also being reported that they could lose anywhere from 30 to $50 million because of the change in dates from April to November. They are losing money on it. Now, mind you, there's, they're going to probably be doing between seven and $800 million based off of Spectre, which is what the last movie was. If they yeah. do anything near that, it's still, they're making a profit out of it, but still 30 to $50 million loss is it's nothing to sneeze at. Well, I mean, Sorry, pardon the pun out there. Whatever the reasoning is for them, you know, moving it, whether it's coronavirus or not, I don't think that the film industry can survive not having movies go out in the summer because that's like that's a big, big earning period for them. And I don't think that they can survive a period like a drought like that. So it wouldn't be in their best interest to move any more films. And I don't see them doing that. But then again, you know, I'm not a market analyst. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about uh how that's going to play out in the future but i just i don't see it being a smart decision for them from what i do know about the the film industry i don't see it being a smart choice on them to push all these movies over to the fall instead of the summer are there going to be any more big profile names that you think will be moved and should they be moved should mulan should black widow should fast and furious nine should any of these titles or any others be moved to another point in time on the calendar due to the potential risks that could be out there because of the coronavirus and all that's going on around the world at this point in time? Share us your thoughts on that. And also, if you went to go see Onward this weekend, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, it's our good friend Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. He's going to be stopping by to not only talk about Apple Plus, but also for a content creator, what is the process like with so many different options out there in both streaming, cable, and other television and film markets? He's going to talk about that, plus also an update on Action Figure Adventure itself. He's coming up right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, Check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're once again back with the program right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. You see him right now. He's a thorn in my side. He's pestering me once again as only he can do because he's making the round on the podcast and you know, he's got to go to the best podcast around and that's ours man who, well, you know, he helped create the name of pop culture cosmos. I got to give him props on it. So in the major lawsuit that happens and he files that trademark against me against me, because technically we created the thing together and I just kind of let you do all the work. And I just kind of quietly kept taking steps back further and further and then left the country. Okay, sweet. Then you know what? Then I will go ahead and make sure I play this portion of the tape to the judge. There you go. Yeah. You go. Uh-huh. When, when we... Since nothing was in writing and oral contracts aren't binding <laughs> in the state of Nevada, I think we're okay. Hey, well, I have hope. The Ringer sold the other day to Spotify for quite a chunk of change, and they produce sports and pop culture podcasts. So, you know, I'm looking for that same kind of deal. That's uh, what, Bill Simmons' podcast? That is correct. All of his podcasts are now owned by Spotify. Now, mind you, they're still going to have their already out there podcast still remain out there, but they are going to have more Spotify exclusive podcasts. But you know, any of these podcast outlets want to go ahead and gobble us up, you know, we're all game, right? right? Hey, I'm, sh- I'm sure they can afford a Kit Kat bar. You know, uh, give me a break and all this is yours, right, Gerald? Exactly. Give me a break. Give me that piece of that Kit Kat bar. But we're just going to have more than a kick up bar right here because it is my good friend once again, Mr. Rob McCallum. I know him as Rob, but you know him as the director of the awesome and upcoming, well, if you backed it on Kickstarter, you should know her already, Action Figure Adventure, plus all the stuff that he's done already, which you can find at robmccallumfilms.com. It is Rob McCallum. And Rob, just great to have you back on, pestering me once again. 
Well, you've just pestered me because for the last day, for the last two months, I've pushed my reminder to update my website off until the next day, until the next day. Because I don't even think I have action figure adventure stuff on robmccallumfilms.com at this point. It's, it's meeting to happen. It's, it's coming at some point. But yes, I am here. You know the rule. You can never slip up with me. Your self-imposed rule. Not mine. Just yours. I'm here to talk about whatever you want to talk about this time, Gerald. Why don't you get Jade? You're like, you know, hey, Jake, give me a hand, man. I'm doing all the work here. You're just out there getting all the glory. Jay's doing many more podcasts than I am. I I will say that. For every one that I do, he probably does four or five. Okay, including his own. Yes, and he's doing his own still on top of that as well. Yes. Okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. All right. But then again, you'll be able to check out all the great stuff that he's doing, including Action Figure Adventure, very soon. At RobMcCallumFilms.com? We'll have probably some info up there at some point. The series is slated for broadcast November 1st. That is top priority. And we have another film that we're set to announce very soon. Our insurance just went through, which is the last hurdle we wanted to declare. And when I get back from my current trip, where I'm broadcasting from New Jersey, uh, when I get back, I'll be cutting the trailer for that and hopefully be able to share that with everybody in the coming weeks as well. Absolutely. And if you want to check out his podcast that he was doing with his wife, Tanya, mm-hmm. and you got to check it out today, Mouthcast. Mouthcast That's with, right. Mouthcast with Rob McCallum and his lovely wife, Tanya Candler, who of the famous rock group, Kitty. So you got to go ahead and check out the Kitty documentary as well. So much when it comes to Rob McCallum. And the Kitty Live concert, which features every iteration of the band. And hey, there are two mouthcasts now, two in the can that I have to get to and edit and release. I hear you. So I can't I'm wait trying. for that. I am trying, my friend. The, Welcome the, to the my minutes, world. The, oh, your world, huh? Oh, we're talking about your world now. I'm the guest, and we're going to talk about your world. Okay. Yes, okay, yes. What, what are we talking about in your world, Gerald? What are we doing? Editing podcasts. That's what I'm doing. I, recording is fun. Editing podcasts at three or four in the morning, that's not so fun. Well, we we all have a cross to bear. Yes, that we do, that we do. But it is good to see you, my friend. Good to hear from you and good to talk to you as well. But I wanted to talk to you about a couple things before you go ahead with your pitch about action figure adventure. I feel like this is like where you bring up something that we've discussed in the past and you try to rake me over the coals on it. I'm not raking you over the coals per se because I thought it was... Oh, so this insightful. is what you're doing. Okay, here we go. Kind of, so to speak, because everybody's heard our promo and the part of the promo. I don't know the promo, so you're going to have to enlighten okay. me. Okay, it's the minute long promo where you're on it and you have, you know, I got a bite from you that, that said Apple, if they get into the streaming marketplace, could change the way we look at the industry as a whole. And they did get into the streaming industry. They did get into the streaming marketplace. But as of now, have kind of underwhelmed with the content that they're putting out there. The number, the amount of time, the amount of effort that they're doing is, I'm liking it to what Amazon Prime did in their early days of streaming before they realized, you know what, this is something we should go ahead and invest more into. I know that day's going to come when Apple's going to go ahead and invest more into it. And you're going to start seeing them buying libraries or as you and I have speculated in the past, maybe buy a studio or two or a maybe a film company, a.k.a. Sony or something like that at some point in time. They're going to have to go ahead and have some large purchase. But to this point, as someone who is familiar with what Apple's producing out there, are you kind of underwhelmed with what they've done so far? Not really, to be honest. I'm not. And uh, I think Apple is being the smartest about the so-called streaming wars. Yes, technically they are involved now they have a platform people can sign up for and yes there is exclusive material on there and material that has not been seen anywhere it's all entirely original which is the only thing that any of the platforms can say every other platform has uh, a back catalog but apple has only original content so that is definitely something you can say Uh, and i think you know there's something to be said for the first out of the gate Right. And that's clearly Netflix. Netflix was the first one to really set up the the streaming platform and the streaming culture 
And there have been a lot of people that have come and gone. And of course, now we're left essentially with Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO coming, and of course, most recently, Disney Plus. Now, Disney Plus, as lauded as it was when it hit, I think people are trying to uh, struggle to find a to, to find a reason to keep it or you know to to see the value in it because it doesn't have the originals uh, that they were hoping for over and over and and that back catalog while it's vast in certain corners still probably a little underwhelming unless you're of a certain age and you want to dig deep into the 90s cartoon offerings or you really love certain films of the of yesteryear of the past there's just not quite enough on disney plus and i will say from having a lot of kids uh, at my place needing to check out stuff on disney it's kind of buggy at times especially in canada when depending on where you're looking at content it defaults to the french Canadian version of a film, which will play English audio, but all the on-screen text will be in French. But not everywhere you select the film, just sometimes where you find it. When you search for the title, for example, or you want to watch it in your watch list, but not if you find it on your on the main page. So there's some weird hiccups there in Disney+. Plus. I think they're waiting to see what's going to happen with HBO Max, which is going to be giant slayer i think you know the the back catalog of everything time warner that's cartoon network that's boomerang that's all dc it's all hbo and let's remember hbo is different from hbo max hbo is what we know as hbo which really caters to the i would say 25 and 30 up range with intense dramas 10 episode kind of runs uh, high production values and HBO Max is going to be everything else. HBO Max, of course, is fifteen ninety nine, I believe, or fourteen ninety nine, somewhere around there, as a, as a cost point. So the most expensive of everything. Apple TV Plus is the least expensive of everything at simply five dollars a month. And to your point about it being like Amazon Prime when it first started. They're giving it away for free anytime you buy a new Apple device, which for most of us happens every two years, I would say, when you get a new phone. But you can get a new iPad in the off year or an Apple TV and get it as well. In the same way that Verizon gave away Disney Plus for everyone that uh, has a Verizon account for the first year as well. So I think Apple is really smart. They don't need to jump in head first. Not in a year when so many new platforms are still coming out. And finding out what is working for them and not working for them. It's smarter to keep the money in the bank and watch what people are doing and are not doing. And then come out last and then come out strong at that point. Plus, they don't need to spend more than the billion they've already invested in content production. They can sit back and wait and decide which places they want to keep putting their chips in. I think Apple's in a really good spot. And I think once they really want to take advantage of content creation, they are going to be that that player you have to watch out for. And they could always be far behind of Netflix and Disney Plus and all that. And I agree with you on Disney Plus because since the you know beginning of Disney Plus, where it was really cool to go ahead and check out all the old stuff plus whatever they had that was new, their lack of new content is really starting to show. So you're starting to see some warts right there when it comes to Disney Plus until you get all that content that's coming up down the road. And later this year, it'll be more effective to watch Disney Plus. But right now, it's really hard to go ahead and navigate to once you've seen all those old movies and old TV shows and old things that you've already checked out and just, you know, the nostalgia that you've already gone ahead and you had that buzz for the first couple of months, but now that buzz is worn off and you're left over with not a whole lot after that with Disney plus. So I agree with you on that. And with Apple, I think it's just something that, yeah, they can go ahead and sit back and survey the landscape of the streaming marketplace because they can be right now, what 150 million subscribers behind per se you know, what Netflix is doing right now. But they can, with the right amount push, they can instantly make up that ground because of the fact that everybody, well, I must say everybody, but virtually everyone out there has some sort of Apple device they can go ahead and view it off of. So you're right. They can, they're always can be behind, but can easily catch up at any point in time. Just think how quickly they could capture the audience. If like when, I think it was six years ago, 
they pushed that U2 album to everybody's iTunes account. I knew you were going to say that. Josh cannot just stand that. As a I YouTube hated fan, it too. I'm not a YouTube, YouTube fan. fan and I am. Oh, but and I, I was driving why. to New Jersey today, and one of those songs still showed up somewhere in my library and played, and it drove me nuts. But think how cool that is if you were able to send that to everybody as a free option for their account. They don't have to download it. It's not going to be on their device. But if it allows them access, that's pretty yeah. cool. If they, don't, if, they don't have to do anything. They can yeah. buy whatever they want when they choose to buy it. And that's always something to be aware of. Hi, this is Mr. Holiday from the podcast, My Worst Holiday, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And no matter how much I love you two, I agree with you and Josh. They shouldn't have force-fed it on everyone, and that was a mistake on their part. You know, give people the choice to go ahead and do so. And that's what they should do with Apple Plus. And just give people the choice that's out there. But once you have enough of a selection to really make it imprint, the gloves will go on with Apple. I agree with you. But I also think a major acquisition is also in the offering. I think you mentioned it before when we were talking about this even years ago, about them getting in the streaming space, that they may or probably will most likely get some sort of studio at some point in time that they'll acquire their assets and go forward, similar to what Disney has done with 21st Century Fox and and some others have done, Viacom and you know Universal. They've gone to various acquisition routes before. And then you know Sony has been up in the air for quite some time as far as the speculation on if they're ever going to get bought. And I think the first place people would look at is Apple for that. Yeah, I mean, the ability to acquire a studio and that infrastructure when you have the capital makes sense. I don't think anybody thinks Disney buying Fox from a strategic point of view is a was a bad thing. It made sense if Disney could pull that trigger knowing that Fox wanted to sell the assets, its library, and get back its IP in the form of the Marvel characters at the very least. It, it just made sense across the board. Now, whether that's good for the film industry or not, is a discussion you and I have had before as well. If Apple's going to do that, at least it's not one company consuming another and shrinking the space. It's all, it's more of a lateral shift where it's basically a new name on the billboard, so to speak. There's a lot you can gain just by acquiring, but that's also like Jurassic Park, where you know you bought, you patented, you know you stood on the shoulder of people who did great things, and before you questioned whether you, you know, whether you could, you didn't stop to realize if you should. So they're not creating genetic monsters when they're making movies. And I'm sure they're going to hire more people that know what they're doing as they have in the past to create content. But just because you can buy a studio doesn't mean you know how to run a studio. So what is Apple's relation? Should they acquire a film company or a film studio? That's not going to give them immediate legitimacy. And you're still going to have to, to, to create new stuff. So there's no shortage of stuff out there to watch. But in actually prepping for our discussion, which you teased as talking about the streaming wars, I looked at the Apple TV Plus offerings because not knowing really what it was, because I've always considered it, Hulu, and yeah, I would say even Disney Plus as more complementary services to either a Netflix or, or a Prime Video. I think you usually have one of those two. Most people, I think, have Netflix, although a lot of people have Prime because of the shipping kind of side of it, and Prime gets thrown in for free. But much like uh, the PS3 or the PS4 days and the Xbox 360 and the Wii U is there, the Wii U is a complementary system, not really something that you needed to fulfill all your gaming desire. So that's how I see Disney Plus now and Apple TV Plus. But a lot of the a lot of the shows I see on there, I'm actually genuinely intrigued. The problem is there's a similar list of shows on almost every platform out there that I don't have time to get through right now. And in Canada, we have a really unique situation in that we don't have HBO as a standalone option up here. HBO and Stars and Showtime are all bundled into one service up here called Crave TV. And there's Crave Originals as well, which is part of the Bell Media telecommunications company up here. 
so everything's kind of bundled there as one service and it has its own app and everything like that so i'm trying to get through stuff like kidding season two the outsider on hbo mcmillions another hbo documentary series as a docuseries maker or as someone that's part of the, the production process a content creator yeah a content creator per se okay you know, you've got those options that are out there, man. You've got this project. How mind-boggling is it now? Because as we were talking before we went on, you've got lesser-known publishers out there, lesser-known mid-tier streaming outlets, and then there's the, you know, obviously the Netflix and the Amazon Primes and the Apple TV Plus and all that. I mean, what goes through your mind when you go ahead with all these processes? I know you have people that you work with that help put your stuff out there, but still, the process is there, and all these options are now plenty. I know you and I've talked about this before in, in brief before, but I mean, it now has to be more almost like a headache because there's so many different options and so many different ways you can make your series or your documentary success. But there's also so many ways it can just go ahead and be, you know, just hide into oblivion. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated uh, question to answer because it really depends on who you are as a filmmaker I'll try to come at it from where I, where I think you want to go with this. And like, I think what you're trying to ask is how do you navigate the difficulty of releasing something nowadays, given there are so many streaming platforms and options and places that your film can be seen. And I think that it's actually more difficult now uh, in the majority of the sense, because it's still hard to get your your title on these places. You've got to know somebody who knows somebody or has a pre-existing relationship. Like you can't just email Netflix and say, hey, put my movie on your service. It doesn't work like that. Usually you have to go through an aggregator who pitches the content to Netflix and it's either accepted or rejected and only certain kind of films will get accepted. And with that kind of stuff, you're relying on the person who isn't you to pitch the project that you know best so that becomes very difficult. And the people that do this, of course, have to take a cut of the sales or you're paying them regardless of the outcome, uh, which is very frustrating. I think the biggest thing now, though, is that there are the do-it-yourself options, which didn't exist 20 years ago in a way that could get you a mass audience. You know, 20 years ago, you can make your film and put it on DVD and make 2,000 copies and sell them at 20 bucks each and, you know, make $40,000. Now you have, you know, even places like YouTube where you're going to have a global audience instantly. You can upload your film to Amazon Prime Video now uh, with zero or very few restrictions of getting it out there. And I've gone both big distributor uh, like Netflix with Power of Grayskull and I've done Do It Yourself with Missing Mom and had just as much success on both sides of those they they've worked out equally at least in those two films the numbers and the the roi and all that are are pretty similar so it's interesting to see what goes into each of them and which way i want to go uh for newer stuff that comes out because it's always uh it's always a toss-up and there is no path every film has its own path you know there is no right way that you keep doing over and over again and you always have new relationships with action figure adventure we had a sale before we finished uh, shooting in canada and we took that sale and in some ways that's complicated some of the offers that we're dealing with right now for our u.s and global release but not really because canada is a small territory in the scheme of things and most people are pretty understanding given that i'm a canadian filmmaker that i'd want to retain my home country rights and access tax credits and whatnot but the path that we're looking to take with action figure adventure is different than other paths we've taken before. And you can sink years into just selling a film and looking for what to do with it. And to be honest, most filmmakers don't take any time or they take too much time. They make that one film they think is perfect, regardless of how it is. And they spend the next five to 10 years trying to find the perfect home for it, or they dump it out there and hope it's going to make millions without really doing any of the work for it. Uh, so it's difficult. I think you have as just as many places now to get your film out there as you did 20, 30 years ago. The format's changed. It's not VHS and DVD anymore. It's streaming, and it's more categorized by genre and type. But getting it to the right people that can help 
promote the film is key. I think also having tools with like the internet uh, to get publicists on board and really push your title. I think that's really important. I think that's uh, underrated. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also so many different outlets out there. I mean, you're like, like you said, you've, you've produced stuff that has been put out on Vimeo, YouTube, I've seen stuff, work of yours on Netflix, so many other streaming outlets, both here and in Canada and around the world. And then you now even have more options that you could go ahead and utilize, including we were taught just joking about Quibi about earlier. Quibi, yeah. About earlier. And that's that's something. Does that intrigue you, that option about the quick bites geared towards the millennials? That's got to see everything off of their mobile devices, which is pretty much, without saying it, that's pretty much what they're saying is with Quibi, is that it is meant for that type of audience. I love the challenge of a seven-minute narrative or chapters in seven minutes. You can imagine how McMillions would be divided up every seven minutes. I don't think it's hard to fathom what that's like. I think for action figure adventure, you could easily do, you know, one store stop in seven minutes and see what, what that looks like. What I don't like about Quibi from a filmmaker's point of view, and I think I talked about it on an episode of the Mouthcast, or it's yet to come out, or maybe it came out, is... Filmmakers are required to provide content in both portrait and landscape modes negatively. So you have to refilm scenes twice so that there's a seamless transition. It doesn't just auto like shift. It like instantly does it without any delay. So right now when you're watching YouTube on your phone and you turn it, it kind of pauses, adjusts and continues. This seamlessly does it. It doesn't stop playing within that time span. And that requires filmmakers to create it different ways. Now, some filmmakers are creating stuff so that it's a different experience when you watch it in portrait versus landscape. And other people are uh, not doing that. They're just shooting it to fit the confines of, of, the, of the device, so to speak. But the, the length doesn't bother me at all. I think it's intriguing. It's going to be interesting to see where you decide to make your commitments long-term to all these different streaming outlets and, and where you want to go ahead and put your projects in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is my choice and part of it is the market's choice too. the, the stuff I want and who wants to buy it and when they want to buy it and what's going on at that time. So it's not just my desire. It's what can facilitate what I'm doing for better or worse. I'm in the fortunate position where I get to be an artist and I get to create at least right now, without having to beg and borrow for money up front and get permission, I just get to create what I want uh, with my team and we find a home for it rather than find a home and then create it, well, which you have, uh, is great. Well, you have found a home for Action Figure Adventures and it starts, you said, on November 1st. Is that correct? Tell everybody yep. out there a little bit more about Action Figure Adventures. Yeah, so Action Figure Adventure follows Super Collector Jay Bartlett, of course, from Nintendo Quest fame as he goes... From store to store, country to country, region to region, in search of the coolest, rarest, most noteworthy action figure pieces out there, all in an effort to create the ultimate action figure auction where all the proceeds go to benefit Children's Health Foundation, which is a local charity that supports critically ill children. So uh, Jay fronts all the cash, buys all the goodies, and we see how much gets to go to benefit children which really allows us to make the argument that action figures are powerful indeed, uh, and they can change uh, the lives of people. Sounds like you've said that once or twice before. I'm reading it from a screen, Gerald. No, yeah, I've said it <laughs> once or twice. And where can people find more information on Action Figure Adventure? The easiest place to find information on Action Figure Adventure is on Facebook, facebook.com slash action figure adventure or on instagram at action figure adventure and of course you can bug me on twitter at rob mcsob if you want to know something else too because uh, bugging I, rob is really what a lot of people like to do I, i've seen this firsthand yeah it's actually great sometimes it starts uh with a little in incessant pestering and sometimes we become friends and sometimes you find yourself quickly blocked <laughs> or sometimes i just move to another country 
Yeah, that's true. Well, he did the latter for me. That's for sure. That's that's where. Well, after cinder blocks, I didn't think there was going to be much of a friendship. Got to bring out the cinder blocks. All right, there you go. (laughs) Once again, it's my good friend Ron McCallum. You got to check out his awesome docu series coming November first. That's action figure adventure. Check it out today. All the info. In fact, he just made an update, so you got to check it out today on Kickstarter. And where else could you find that update? It's on uh, Facebook as well, and it's open to everybody. And the big thing with this update is we're asking people to weigh in on how they want us to craft some segments that will feature our backers. If you were a backer of our campaign, you may have seen that some of the rewards allow you to be on the camera and in the mix as part of things. Now, it's not just that we're doing Action Figure Adventure, a 10-part series, but we're also doing an after show with it as well, which, of course, will have 10 parts as well. And we don't know how long those episodes are going to be, but we want to kind of go the gamut rather than just a quick two or three minute talk about what happened in each episode. We want to feature some segments with some backers. And so now I have issued a survey via Kickstarter talking about such things. And uh, we will see how people weigh in on which way they want that to go. You're not planning on a Snyder cut to go ahead and, you know, hide in the vaults, are you? I can't talk about a Snyder cut. First rule about Snyder Cut is not to talk about Snyder Cut. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But, you know, if I go to the McCallum garage and I see this just sitting there, just like, you know, action figure adventure, the Rob McCallum Cut right there. No, that that's more Nintendo Quest, the Rob McCallum Cut. Okay, okay. Whoa. Oh, 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 a lot of ears perked up when you said that. And hey, don't forget about video game box art. That is in limited release right now. I will be pulling that very soon because we have an offer for that that could be monumental rob you know it's just so great talking to you my friend once again destroying the internet as only you can and mocking me as only you will as easy as only you can make it fair enough yes it, it, that is correct but again check out the mouthcast he's got new episodes that he will eventually put out too Yes, and like I said before, with Mouthcast, we are taking a little bit of a hiatus. break. It's, well, hiatus is harsh. Tanya doesn't like me to use the word hiatus. We're just taking a, a bit of a pause. She wants to get back at it. We've got to get priorities in line, I think, a little bit more. We will get to it. But if you love further podcast commentary, couples looking for that last bit of sanity in their lives at the end of a day when two kids have been running their lives check out Mouthcast. It's a lot of fun and you will value your own life and sanity when you listen to it. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's actually in a lot of places. Thanks to you, Gerald. You helped us get on a Spotify by Pestering Anchors Help Support Desk. They, they got us up there. Spotify is actually more popular in Canada than Apple Podcasts. So. Well, our numbers are through the roof on Apple. I'll say that much. Well, hey, I'm just glad people are listening to it. And continued success to you, my friend. Surprised people are listening to it. There are many reasons why they could be surprised when they listen to it, but I won't say that on the air. Oh, tantalizing. There you go. All right, my friend. Always great talking to you. Once again, it's Rob McCallum. Just so great to have you once again part of the pop culture cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is PCC Multiverse. My friend, I want to talk real quickly because we got a few minutes left. The Last of Us as an HBO series just got announced today by Naughty Dog. I'm so excited. The Last of Us, which you and I could tell just because the fact it was such a great game and, and had such an, you know, just a immersive story with the apocalyptic nature and all that. It's a zombie tale, but it's not a zombie tale, but it kind of is a zombie tale, but it's kind of not a zombie tale. But it tells many of those same aspects. It's like, for me, it's like The Walking Dead. If The Walking Dead got it right continuously for all these years. Does this get you excited about having The Last of Us come to HBO? Okay, so I am I'm in a, a, a very small crowd 
that has never played the game before. I know, I know, right? Like I've I've been I've listened to the soundtrack and I've had people constantly tell me it's such a good game, such a good game. I'm one of those people who the more you hound me to watch something or play something, the less I want to do it. And it's just my it's my rebellious nature, man, you know. Okay, don't play it at all. Don't play it at all. Yes, okay. Well, now I'm going to go play it. Jeez. There you go. That's what I want. <laughs> no, I it's on it's on my queue. I just haven't had a chance to sit down. It feels like one of those games where I really need to just I need to take like five hours and just sit down and play as much of it as I can. And uh, I haven't done that. And I don't I haven't had the time to do something like that, but I want to. Anyways, back to the HBO show. Yeah, I can totally see them making a uh, a thing out of this. How many seasons is it going to be? How long is it going to be? Is, is it going to be something that they're going to beat to death like The Walking Dead? If that's the case, I'm not interested. But if they're talking about like a one to five seasons. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm totally interested in something like that. I agree with you on that. I think it should not overstay its welcome because you see the fact that walking dead, especially with seasons eight and nine, definitely overstayed its welcome. I mean, they are finding someone of their mojo back and I did watch because I knew I had Daphne Matthew, who's our resident walking dead expert on the show recently. So I had to catch up on the walking dead and it found some of its mojo back in this 10th season. But to me, I don't think it'll ever get to the point where it once was. They did so many things to drive off casual fans like me. And I'm hoping that wouldn't be the same case for the last of us, but they do have a great foundation for a three or even a four season run of maybe eight, 10 episodes. If they kept it short, limited run series, that would be a great thing for The Last of Us because I could really get into that if it's like two, three seasons, four seasons of nothing but seven to 10 episode runs where it tells a story about Joel and Nellie and all that was going on with them and how they grow as individuals, especially in what happens in that kind of environment. I could see that happening, but again, I don't want to overstay its welcome. So what are your thoughts out there on The Last of Us becoming an HBO series at some point in time down the road? We're excited for it. As long as it doesn't overstay its welcome and they try to go ahead and, as Josh says, you know what you can do in The Last of Us, beat it to death. As long as they don't do that, it should be something really that a lot of people should be looking forward to as a series coming up down the road. Two more things before we head on out, my friend, and that's Taika Waititi. He just said yes to Netflix on not one, but two animated series. Did you hear about that? So I had read something about that. Like I saw all these pictures of him from uh, what we do in the shadows and it said Willy Wonka beneath it. So that was confusing. So I clicked on it and yeah, apparently he's making it. And which is, which is fine because I can actually really see him taking on a property like that, especially with like the quirky characters that are in that. And a lot of people don't know this, but the original book by Roald Dahl, the original book by him was like, it was, it's a very dark tale. Like it was twisted. Yeah. The characters were funny, but they weren't so much funny as they were deranged. So I can see the Taika Waititi doing something great with that. The first one is going to be Charlie and the chocolate factory, which it's based off of. So it's Charlie and the chocolate factory. And then the next one is going to be Oompa Loompas. So if you ever wanted a series that's animated based off of the Oompa Loompa characters, you're going to get it from Taika Waititi. And with his creativity and sense of humor, who knows where these series are going to go, especially how weird, how strange, and how different it could be. And like you said, it's going to have to show a dark side that maybe people are not as familiar with. They've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They've seen those movies because, as you said, the books get much darker and deeper into it. And that, I think that's what Taika is going to have to do in order to go ahead and truly represent the book to show a different side from what we've seen before with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and also the Oompa Loompas as well. What are your thoughts out there on Taika Watiti and not one, but two animated series off of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, it's been a great episode, my friend. Cannot thank Rob McCallum enough for stopping by on today's program sharing his thoughts on Apple TV Plus, plus giving everyone an update on action figure adventure. Before we head on out, my friend, did you see the highlights of what's going on with Final Fantasy VII? A lot of people excited for the remake. The demo came out this week. So did you get a chance to take a look at Final Fantasy VII's remake demo that's out there, all seven and a half gigs of it? 
I was in and out of it. You know, I've seen videos of people playing, and I've seen the, you know, uh, Midgar looks really cool, and I love to see the the character animations look really neat. It is something that I did want to pick up, and I had Brian Wegner from the Super BS hit me up about it, and he said that it's amazing. So anything that he gives high praise to, like I kind of trust. So I would like to play it, and it looks beautiful, and I love that game. So I'm kind of excited about it. So. I'm hoping to uh, get some time maybe on a Sunday night or, or Monday sometime. What are your thoughts on it? It looks good, man. And obviously it's one of the most recognizable games of the last 25 years. I mean, its place in history is not in question. But a bigger thing I ask you, and that'll probably even ask you again at when this game finally comes out this year, is do you think it will draw in a new audience or do you think it's just going to try and retain whatever's left of the old one? Okay, you know, it's funny you ask that. So, like, I had um, a student of mine last year. He went out, bought a PlayStation because he had heard so many good things about Final Fantasy VII. And obviously, he'd heard it from an older crowd. And I had done my fair share of talking up, too, because it's one of my favorite games of all time. And he went out and played it. And then he's like, you know what? This pixelated stuff's not for me. But he had caught the demo, the E3 demo that they put out last year. And he was like... I'm going to wait till that comes out. And I feel like he's kind of the same as a lot of kids who are coming up on video games and kind of like having access to the things that their parents play. And I think there is a definite market for kids like that. And I think that, yes, it will bring in a lot of new fans. I do think the numbers intimidate people. So, you know, like 7, 15, things like that. They're going to be like, "Whoa, I got to go back and play all these games. But, you know, I think there is a market. I also know that there are people who are going to bag on it because, you know, just seeing the demos that they showed at E3 and the YouTube comments and things, it's just there are trolls out there. But my hope would be that this kind of reinvigorates the Final Fantasy series and makes people interested in it again. And that would kind of move them in the direction of making like 16 or whatever they're working on right now. But it is a very beautiful game. And I would love to see because art like role playing games don't get the uh, the recognition that they deserve anymore. You know, not a lot of people are into them. They want quick experiences. And, you know, I'd love to see this put that stigma to an end. Well, this is what we talked about on our last episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos with Baldur's Gate 3 where you have a limited audience that loves those RTS or, again, role-playing type formats and are very reluctant because they live in the world of first and third person fast-paced shooters. They live in a world of, I want to you know, run it right now. I don't want to have to go ahead and think. I don't want to have to go ahead and strategize. I won't have to go ahead and plan my next move. I just want to go ahead and act. I just want to go ahead and shoot. I just want to go ahead and use my sword now. I just want to go ahead and do those things that I want to do right now. And if you check out the action on our Game Source YouTube page with Jamie Monroy providing the action, and we cannot thank him enough for doing so, you will see that, it yes, there is some strategy involved as far as where you want to go and what you want to do, especially when it comes to attacks and all that. But at least they try to do a good job of blending it in so it creates more of an environment that you want to go ahead and do it similar to what we're trying to see with Baldur's Gate 3, where it's really trying to bring you in and those players that are not used to that type of format, try to draw them in as well. And Final Fantasy VII, I think, is got a great enough name that it's going to be bringing those people in who are not normally interested in that type of genre. So I agree with you. It has that name. It has that cachet being one of the most famous video games of all time that it will bring in at least initially a marketplace that's both your age, my age, but also as well younger than you, like like the students that you teach, it will also bring that audience in as well, at least in the short term. I don't know about long term, but I think the Final Fantasy VII remake as a whole will do well overall. And I think at by the end of the year, it'll be one of the PlayStation's biggest selling games. What are your thoughts out there on the Final Fantasy VII remake and the demo that just came out this week? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Does it get you excited for the game in full that's coming out in April? Please let us know on Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, and Game Source on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it as always. We're going to be tracking just how well Onward is doing this weekend at the box office. It's very important to see, obviously, with the big issues at hand, how that's going to track at the box office this weekend. 
Any last thoughts on the way out? No. Um, <laughs> I thought I had some. I, I, I like that long pass. I, uh, no. Well, actually, I just finished Altered Carbon, and I'd love to talk to you on the show about that last episode sometime. So if you, whenever you get around to finishing it, we need to discuss. I'll try to burn through it on the weekend along with finishing up Hunters. So we can go ahead and share our thoughts on that on the Monday program, the Pop Culture Cosmos. So I'm looking forward to that along with an update on Onward and everything else in the world of pop culture. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great. Do you enjoy TV shows, movies, video games, comics, or novels? Do you enjoy listening to people discuss geeky topics without getting bent out of shape when they disagree? If you do, then the 42 Cast is right for you. We're a podcast with a rotating cast of guests that discusses a new topic every week. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, or 42cast.com. You can also support us and the entire ESO Network by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. That's the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.